You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, hey, we are so grateful that you're with us this morning, either here in person or online. And I just want to mention that we've been in a series this year called 2020 Vision, where we've been going through the book of Luke. And each week, we're asking people in the church to go ahead and read a chapter in the book of Luke. And this last week, we would have asked you to read chapter 20. And those are found on this little bookmark that's in the seat back in front of you. Or if you're online, just know that we're at chapter 20 this week. So start reading one chapter a week, beginning with chapter 21 next week. But we've been in a series, and it's just so interesting to me, as we walk through a series like this, that God just has this way of timing out certain passages for certain seasons that you and I would not know are going to be ahead of us. We didn't know walking into 2020 that we would need 2020 vision from the Lord for the times like these. So many of you were ready to flip the calendar over from 2019 only to experience 2020, and maybe you wish you could go back to 2019. I don't know. But I wanted to say how blessed we are as a nation and as a church to be able to have religious freedoms here in America. I mean, you just need to know just how blessed we are as compared to the rest of the world. That in the rest of the world, there are people who are prohibited from meeting together because of just the difference in their nation, that they would be against Christianity, or they have to meet in secret, or they have other people around them who are actually violently opposed to them gathering as a church. And we, just almost without thought, just kind of gather every week. We come together, we sit, we're able to worship, and the biggest opposition typically Americans face to Sunday morning worship is the alarm clock. And we've just been blessed. So I want you to understand, please understand how blessed we are as a nation, which is not true in many parts of the world. And whether you're gathering here today in person or whether you're gathering on our online services, we're so glad that together we've said, let's give God the first and the best of our week. As a new week always starts on Sunday, we give God the first and the best of our week and to be together in a way that dedicates that time and that energy to him and worships him. And sometimes in culture, something comes along that changes the religious climate. Something comes along that changes the way that people practice religion. And for the Jewish people, that was when the land of Israel became occupied by Rome. That Rome conquered so much of that part of Asia and the Middle East. And they came into Israel and they conquered Israel and they continued to move their kingdom and really their, in a sense, dynasty around the world. And it changed the climate of the way that Jewish people could behave. It changed the climate of the taxes they paid. It changed the climate of the shortages that they would have in an agricultural society because now you're not only supporting the people of the nation of Israel, but you're now supporting the armies and the governors and the other people of Rome. And they have the right to walk in and take some of your produce. And so they would feel shortages in their culture. They would feel that their religious practices are a little bit cramped. They would feel that they had authority for certain things, but certainly not for everything they would want to do. And they're living within the tension of, do we obey Rome, or do we, as the people of God, obey God? Is it a problem to solve, or is it simply a tension to manage? What do we do? And deep in their hearts, they are hoping for the Messiah to show up in such a way that he will free them. He'll free them from their illnesses. He will free them from Roman occupation. He will restore Israel to its rightful place. They were hoping that he would restore the nation to the way the nation they felt should be. And yet God in his sovereignty had a much bigger plan. 
that he was coming not to change the political climate, but that he was coming to change people's hearts, those who were trapped in their sin, those who were obedient to the law, but the law couldn't save them. And so he was coming in to bring the kingdom of God, salvation through his sacrifice on the cross, a suffering servant. And then he would go to heaven and people, not just Jewish people, but all nations of the world would have the ability to give their lives to Christ, to no longer be trapped by the condemnation that exists from their sin and to have life everlasting. He came for a totally different reason. All of this was the kind of climate that Jesus Christ was born into. He was born into a culture that was afraid. He was born into a culture that experienced fears. He was born into a culture that had shortages and, and had opposite things that they were being told of what they should believe and what they should do, and the question mark was always in their mind, and they were so hopeful for this Messiah. Listen, here's why you need this sermon today, whether you're here or you're online. What you fear reveals what you and I value the most. And what we fear reveals, as we get squeezed, what we fear reveals where we trust God the least. And so today, I believe God has brought us to this passage at the right time in our series to be able to talk about the issue of trust, the issue of faith, as you and I manage the tension between faith and fear. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Luke chapter 20. In verse 20 and following... The Pharisees don't like Jesus. They feel like that the religious climate and the religious expression has been changing, that the people who would always come to them and just listen to them are now going other places to hear about the kingdom of God. They're going to this man, Jesus. They're seeking him out. Jesus comes and teaches in the temple courts, and the Pharisees feel like they're listening less to us and more to other people. And they begin to say, we, want, we have to find a way to discredit Jesus. We have to find a way to trap him. And it says in verse 20 of chapter 20 of Luke, it says, Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. And they hoped to catch Jesus in something he said, so they might hand him over to the power and the authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he saw through their duplicity, and he said to them, show me a denarius, whose image and description in the scripture are on it? Caesar's, they replied. And he said to them, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. And they were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public, and astonished by his answer, they became silent. It's amazing. They try to trap Jesus. And what do they want to do? They want to trap him in a way so they could send him to the governor. You say, why do they want to send him to the governor? These religious leaders had power. These religious leaders had authority. But their authority was limited. Only the governor, only the governor appointed by Rome had the right for capital punishment. What are they trying to do? Trap Jesus and kill him. And so they get, come to Jesus and they're going to make him decide, Jesus, you have to either say this or that and either one traps him. Write this down on your outline if you're taking notes today. Government has the right to exist and function, but its presence does not cancel out allegiance to God. Of the institutions of authority that God placed on earth, government is one of them. And you and I are to obey our government. But 
government and its existence doesn't cancel out our authority to God. There is always a higher authority. If government asks you to do something that's against God, then you're going to have to choose to obey God. His authority will be the one that we obey. But the Pharisees wanted to test Jesus and trap him so they could kill him. They wanted to get him in trouble. They wanted to either get him in trouble with Rome or get him in trouble with the Jewish people. And so what they're saying is, should we pay these taxes to Rome? Because we already have within our culture, we've got Jewish taxes that were largely paid through the temple offerings. There were other taxes. And then they have the tithe that they would return to God what is rightfully his. But now above and beyond that, in a tax season much like ours, there is a government that they now had to assume. But their government was a foreign government. Could you imagine double taxes at this time of year? American taxes and the foreign occupying nation taxes? That's the question they're asking. What should we do? Should we give to God or should we pay these other taxes? And they assumed that this is a problem to solve. So they're saying, Jesus, tell us. Tell us, is it Rome or is it God? Which one is it going to be? And the idea is this. If Jesus says, well, give to God, then they get in trouble with Rome. They'll send him to the governor and said he's telling people not to pay taxes. And now we should kill him. On the other hand, if he says, well, you should pay your taxes to Rome, then all the Jewish people in the crowd are going to get mad, and Jesus is going to get in trouble with the people in the crowd. They'll no longer follow him. This is the trap, the trap that they've set. And the societal expectation was, hey, Jesus, you've got to choose one or the other. Let's see what the difference is. So tithe or taxes is what they're asking. And write this down on your outline. There's a difference, right? Tithes start with income. So it says the first of your income. So this is kind of irrespective of age. It's a good news if you're a parent. Train your children young to return to God the first. And then taxes start with age or with base earnings. Parents, if you have kids and they're earning some money, there's a baseline by which once they have earned that much money, then they have to start paying taxes. And there's some age restrictions. It's good for you to know what those are. But the tithe starts at income. Why? Because everything comes from God and we're returning to him the first. Jesus tells them, show me a denarius. A denarius is a Roman coin that was worth about the, a day's wages, what you'd earn in a day. And so he's telling the people when they ask him, hey, is it Rome or is it honoring God? He says, show me a denarius. And a denarius coin said on it, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of divine Augustus. And here's the thing. Their coin, the coin of Rome, was a coin that said that the divinity is actually Caesar. There's not some other God that you worship. We believe that a human is divine, and they actually worshipped Caesar as the leader of Rome. They worshipped him as a divinity. And so the coin right there didn't say, in God we trust. They said, this is the God we trust. Small g. Right? They said, this is who it is. So Jesus says, show me a coin. And what's so interesting to me is the fact that the people who are trying to trap him actually are carrying around this coin shows that they've already catered to both. They already are using Roman coins. They already are giving to Caesar what is Caesar's, and they're asking, should we give to God what is God? And Jesus expected when he came on earth that people were going to test him. He expected that people were going to try to, like, trick him. He expected that, and so often he saw through it. But what about when God flips the tables? What about when God tests you or me? Or what about when God asks us to test him as God? 
And don't circumstances right now make you and I do that a little bit? God, what, what should we do? I mean, there's like a culture of fear right now. What should we do? Like, should we go to church or go to church online? And I want to just say, good job for either choice you made. It's not a problem to solve. It's a tension to manage. Good job. But we begin to ask, well, God, will there be enough? What if stuff runs out? What if the, the stock market completely crashes? What if all these things happen? And as we get squeezed, what happens for you and me is our fears reveal what we value the most, and our fears reveal where we trust God the least. And Jesus, time and again, with his disciples, comes back to the issue of trust. Do you trust me? Where is your faith, he often asked them. And that's the question Jesus is asking you and me in a culture like ours. He's actually testing your heart. He's saying this, God wants to know, are you going to be faithful? Are you going to love and trust earthly gods, or are you going to love and trust God? And God knows that for many of us, the, the primary competition for our heart can be money. Not because we want the dollar bills in our hands. That doesn't do a whole lot. What we want, we don't actually want money. We want what money brings. And we think that money brings us security. We think it brings us peace. We think it brings us assurances. It's a counterfeit God. And God knows that it is a competitor for our hearts. Why? Because money seems to promise that it will enable you to do as you please. It's a counterfeit God. Money promises what only God can provide and money cannot actually deliver it. So what you fear reveals what you value the most and, and what you fear reveals where you trust God the least. I mean, maybe this week the stock market fluctuations have caused you to rise and fall on the roller coaster of fear. You're going up, 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 and then there's a drop, right? Ah, all the way down, and then, you know, it's going, and you've been, maybe you've been riding that roller coaster, and God is saying, I want you to be wise, but I also want you to trust me in your heart. Shortages of supplies have caused people to fear. They have hoarded. Let me tell you something that the people of God do. In the early church, when the early church was persecuted, people didn't hoard as the people of God. They shared. If someone had need, they took what they had and they shared it with others. They didn't try to resell it on eBay. They didn't hold, you know, in their hand a roll of toilet paper and offer it to you for 50 bucks. What do they do? They shared. That's what the people of God do. What should the church do in uncertain times? Be like the early church. And those have need, you share with them. So we're to love the world and love one another like God valued and loved us. So maybe for you, you're like the people of Israel. In Israel, Jesus understood that the people wanted to test him. Well, Jesus understands that times like these make you and I want to test God a bit. And God wants to say, listen to your fears. They're an indicator of what you value the most and where you trust me the least. So let's look at that a little bit more. The crisis might be squeezing you on the inside. Jesus said it this way. He said in verse, uh, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And we've grown up in a uh, first you know, a world culture that has had things somewhat easy and we by default have felt like I could make more or something else could bail me out. The rest of the world oftentimes doesn't think that way. 
You go to India and you work with Mushar people, the untouchables, the least of these. They think it's all up to me. No one's going to offer me a hand. No one's going to give me any assistance. If I drink from a cup, no one else wants to drink from that because of my low place on the caste system. They don't think like us. But in America, we think oftentimes differently. We think that money's going to promise security and freedom and power and significance, but only God provides security, right? You go to the doctor and he gives you a diagnosis. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You can't buy your way to being well. Only God provides security. So money's a counterfeit God. So the question is, are you going to love and trust money, or are you going to love and trust God? So write this down. Let's fill in the blanks on your outline. It says, I give, my first and my, I give God my first and my best so he can bless the rest. Is it a little cheesy and uh, rhymes? Yes. But it's supposed to be memorable for you and for me. That's, this is what we do as a people of God. I give God my first and my best so he can bless the rest. And that's the tithe. The tithe means the tenth. Number three in your outline, tithing is not giving. It's returning what belongs to God. When the Bible says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, it doesn't say give the tithe. You know why? Because it's not giving, it's returning what is already God's. God's given us everything. He's saying, I will provide for you. I'll give you 100%. But I'm asking you to give me the tenth, which is the tithe, back. You give me the tenth, return it to me, and then these are my promises. And he'll go on from there. It's returning to God. That's what the tithe is. So on the flip side, let's just be honest, not returning to God is like when your parents gave you money and you went to Taco Bell and you bought stuff and they gave you change back and your parents said, make sure you return to me the, you know, what's there. And then you came home and you didn't return any of it to them. It's, it's stealing. If we don't return to God what's his and what he's asked us to return, it's stealing. Malachi 3 verses 8 in the Old Testament, God says to the people of Israel, but you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you were robbing me. He goes on and says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty." What has God said to the people of Israel in the Old Testament? He said, you're under a curse. The whole nation of you, you're under a curse because you're robbing me. And what had happened is for years, God had blessed his people. They would return to him the tithe, and he was blessing them. And after a while, they said, well, maybe, maybe I don't need to give the whole tithe. Maybe I'll just give some of that, and I won't return that to God. And they started to cut back from the whole tithe. And God basically said, well, if you don't want to honor me, then I'll let you try and do life without me. And so what happened? All of a sudden, their crops started to tank, and they weren't doing as well. The economy tanked. He said, if you want to ignore me, let's see how well it goes for you. I mean, it reminds me a lot of our current culture, that we're living beyond our means. Not 100% isn't enough. We're trying to live beyond 100%. And we are bringing, in a sense, on ourselves the curse, the weight of our debt, the curse, the weight of our mistrust, the fear comes upon us. They forgot to bring God their first and their best, the tithe. 
Well, today, I want to tell you why the tithe is so important. Like, what does the tithe do? Like, let's help it make sense for you and for me. Like, why should I do that? If you are sitting here and you're in high school and you're saying, why in the world should I tithe? Why should I return to God the first? What is the tithe actually going to do? Is, is Pastor Dave just asking us to do the tithe because these are shaky times and the church needs money? No. If the church was doing fine and these were not shaky times, we would still take a tithe. You know why? Because it's returning to God what is rightfully his. Always in the Old Testament, the storehouse is the New Testament picture of the church. So God is saying, bring it in. Why? Why? What does the tithe do? Well, let's look at that. Number four, the tithe provides for God's work through his church. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That's what it is. In the Old Testament, the storehouse is a picture of the New Testament church. So we bring it all in. Why? So there may be food, he says, in my house. It was an agricultural society. One of the ways that they would tithe so much is they would bring the first tenth of their produce. We don't live in an agricultural society the same way. We live in an economy of currency. And so he basically is saying we would bring the first and the best and trust God with the rest. And many of you, you do. You bring the tithe and you give God what is God's, that there may be spiritual food in the house. And that's what you're receiving today. As we look at the word of God, we, the word of God is spiritual food. We are growing spiritually from it. And the good news for many of you in this room is you've actually been saved here. That you came and you heard the good news of Jesus Christ and you accepted Christ into your heart and you love him. And you honestly, you just accepted him right here. And then you go from that and then you say, listen, I'm going to honor God with the first in my life. And then you get involved in a circle group and you're in a circle group where people know your name and your needs. And in a time like this, they care for you and check in on you. And you basically are unpacking the word even deeper. You're receiving spiritual word. Uh, You're not on the outside spectating. You're now participating. And then you go from the point of being like in a circle group where people are lifting you up and caring for you and walking you through the ups and downs of life. Why? Because life is relentless. If you don't believe me, just rewind the last couple months. Life is relentless, but God is good. And when the people of God get together in a circle group, we find out that God is good, and the people of God are good to be with. It is important for us to gather together and to eat that spiritual food together. Then suddenly, what do you do? You say, I want to use my abilities in the church to bless the church in the world. I want to use and serve in that way. And as you return the tithe, what does the church do? The church makes an impact on other people's lives. In fact, many of you at the end of last year, you gave toward our end of the year campaign called My Best Gift, which would go for setting up church online. I want to thank you for those of you who gave an offering above and beyond your tithe and had faith to do that because we had no idea the importance of it that we're experiencing right now. Aren't you glad that you gave? That we would need church online in the way that we do and will continue to. God is doing, let me tell you something. Last week here in church, in this room, last week, six people gave their lives to Christ. We give it up for that? Six people. They said, I'm going to give my life to Christ. They prayed to receive Jesus, to have their sins washed away. Six people. But I want to let you also know that online, one person indicated online, while watching online from the comfort of their home or their apartment or wherever they were, they were saying, I receive Jesus as Lord. Will you give it up for that? Because that is good news. Not only that, people shared prayer requests online last week that we prayed for this morning and our staff has prayed for this week. People gave online. They worship God online like many of you who are actually joining us today. And listen, you're using your wisdom to manage the tension between 
what the world says to do and what God says to do, and we're managing the tension between that. And listen, you're using your wisdom to honor God with the first of your week. You're gathering in worship. You're managing that tension of wise health practices and in your situation with the people that you interface with. If you stayed home today, you're watching online, well done. If you're here today and honoring God with the first of your presence and honoring God in church and gathering here, gathering as the people of God, which God tells us to do, well done. Well done to both of you. You're managing the tension. And as the church ministers to an ever-changing culture, the tithe provides for the work of God, not only here in Elk Grove, but around the world and in places like India, in places like Zimbabwe, in places like Guatemala, in places like Mexico, all over the world. Write this down. Number five, the tithe teaches me to put God first. Well, how do you put God first? You make a conscious decision to put God first. You consciously decide, God, I'm going to return to you the first before I pay my other bills. And listen to me, right now the tithers in the room, they're sitting back, they're nodding, they're relaxing, they're chilling right now because they know they put God to the test and they've seen God do more with 90% of their lives than they were able to do with 100%. And so they're relaxed about it, but the others of you in this room, you're panicking a little bit. Why? Because you trust money. Because you trust supplies. Because you trust hoarding to some degree and what you're doing is you're saying, God, I, I don't know, that's such a tension. I don't know if I could do that. But we make a conscious choice to put God first. It is so practical. Listen to me. You say, I'd have to rearrange my life to tithe. Yep. It's so practical for you to rearrange your life and say, God, I will put you first. It means I stop honoring and worshiping false gods in my life and the tithe teaches me. What does it do? It builds a character trait in me of putting God first. Listen, people have to rearrange their lives all the time to obey God. People who are living together and they're not married and they realize we are not living within the will of God. Guess what they got to do? Rearrange their lives to honor God. People got to rearrange their lives when they've made horrible decisions and they're bearing the consequences of their horrible decisions. Some of them at times, you might go to prison. You might have a huge financial loss, whatever you do. But you have to do a whole bunch of things and rearrange your life to put God first, don't you? When your kids are out of control and you're like, they're not honoring God first. And you're like, we're going to grab a hold of the family and say, as long as you live in my house, we are going to church. And this is what we're doing. When you do that, you are rearranging the lives of these little people who live in your house to say, we're going to honor God. And we're rearranging our schedule. And we're going to rearrange our sports to put God first. To put God first. People all the time. It's, it's a privilege to rearrange your life to put God first. It's a beautiful thing. And it's hard to put God first. When you have no idea at times what in the world God is doing. Like what is going on? And not just out in the world. And not just in our current climate. But when you walk through something that's so painful. And you begin to say God what in the world are you doing? I don't understand. It's a privilege to rearrange your life to put God first. Let me just say this. I love the story of a man who came to his pastor and he said, this by the way is a story from a different pastor. But a story who came to his pastor and he said this. Listen pastor I... Um, I just need you to pray for me because I'm really struggling to, uh, to pay the tithe. You see, like, my business this year, it's just gone crazy. In fact, this business, he is, God has blessed my business, and this year I'm going to make over seven figures, well over a million dollars. And God's blessing it. And the pastor's like, man, you must love 
being able to like write that check and pay the tithe, like how much you're able to give for God to do great work all around the world. And the guy was like, well, actually, Pastor, for years, my wife and I, we tithed. And when we made $40,000, like we tithe faithfully. And when God blessed us and increased it to $60,000, we tithe faithfully. And when he blessed it and increased to $80,000, we tithe faithfully. But for some reason, now I just can't struggle. I'm just struggling to bring myself to write that check. And the pastor said, you're kidding me. The more God blessed you with, the less you're trusting him with the tithe. And the guy's like, I know, I know. Will you pray for me? The pastor said, absolutely. He said, God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray you reduce this man's income back to the level where he can trust you again. And the guy's like, no, 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 don't pray that. And he's like, yes, I'm going to pray that every single day until you come back. Do you know that statistics actually show that the more you make, the less you give? I think there's a reason God tells us that those who enter the kingdom of God have a childlike faith. That we honor him and we trust him. The tie that teaches you to trust God first. Will you watch this video? So we were married in Sacramento. I mean, we had already talked about wanting to have kids just my whole life. It's been a dream of mine to be a mom. Right around the time of our one year anniversary, I found out I was pregnant, I think like two or three days before my first day at my first teaching job. We were both ecstatic that mm -hmm. it's finally gonna happen. My first day at my new job, while I was sitting there, I started feeling kind of some pain some cramping and by the time that training ended I was in so much pain and so I came home and I just laid down and I called Marcus and just said okay I'm you know I'm coming home I'll meet you there and we'll go to the doctor and that's gonna be how we can figure out if this is just cramping or if it's something more um, by the end of that day I was pretty sure that I'd had a miscarriage. I just took a test and sure enough, it said I wasn't pregnant. I mean, we were both just so upset, you know. Um, maybe five days earlier, we'd been elated and just full of hopes and dreams about becoming parents, you know, and then to feel like that was taken away so quickly, it was really, really hard. We went to church that Sunday, and that was a week where Pastor Dave was talking about tithing, which would seem totally unrelated, <laughs> but um, he quoted scripture where this is one area where God actually says, test me in this. And God is saying, I love you so much, I'm asking you to put me to the test. God's saying, this is an area where you can test me. Like you say, God, I'm gonna do this, but I'm putting you on notice, God. You've got to show up and prove to me in a tangible way that you're real and that that is not circumstantial, that God, you're gonna help me honor you at the first and I will still be okay. I just remember sitting there and of course, all I could think about was this miscarriage we just had, this pain that we were in right now. And I just remember praying and saying, you know, okay, God, I, I will test you in this. This is something we really want. So, you know, Lord, if it's your will, 
please don't let it be too long before we get pregnant again. So we started tithing and I think it was um, the next month, all of a sudden I just started, you know, thinking, oh my gosh, I wonder if I'm pregnant again. I think I took like seven or eight pregnancy tests and I was pregnant again and I could not believe it. It was just a continuing prayer over and over. God, this is your pregnancy. This is a baby that you've given us. If it's your will, we just pray over and over, just giving it back to him. It's just a faith walk every day. We experienced so much pain, but then we also had this amazing miracle happen at the same time and so quickly, which I've yet to hear anyone else having a miscarriage and then getting pregnant again that quickly. It just seems crazy and absolutely a miracle. And the fact that we started tithing around at that time and after hearing Dave's sermon and then also just going through that experience together and with God, I just feel like it just made God all the more present throughout the whole pregnancy with Owen. God is so faithful and he's close to you. And if you give him the desires of your heart, he'll hear you. I mean, he's, he's not a genie. It doesn't mean ask and you shall receive exactly what you wanted. But I do think that God has a way of either giving you the desire of your heart or showing you another dream and also giving you the peace to live with whatever new dream he's given you. Trust him and know that he's faithful. Hey, will you give it up for uh, Marcus and Desiree sharing with courage their journey? Uh, actually, the way it kind of went down was uh, I'd met them and they dedicated their baby uh, last fall and uh, didn't know anything about their story. And then uh, uh, just before Christmas, I think they came out and, and they walked out in the parking lot and uh, they kind of turned around and came back and they told me that this journey that they had been on of learning to trust God and, and uh, just how God had worked it out in their life. Again, they say it's not, a, it's not a miracle. It's not that if you tithe, God's gonna do something that you've always secretly wanted in your heart to do. What it does is the process of trusting God with the first bleeds over into every other area of your life. And it doesn't guarantee that you're, you're going to have all your things met, but I'm just saying the blessings of God, the storehouse gets thrown open, and sometimes that's peace in the midst of troubling circumstances. Sometimes what we fear reveals what we value the most, and what we fear reveals where we trust God the least. And sometimes when we trust God with the first, we begin to become less fearful in the rest. Write this down, the tithe, well, you've already written it down, the tithe increases my faith in God. It teaches me that 90% with God's blessing goes further than 100% without it. It just does. Listen to tithe. What does it do? It teaches you and me to trust God. It builds your faith. And here's the crazy thing. God is testing us. But not only that, in this one area, God is challenging you to test him back. This is the only place in scripture where God says, test me. He's, he doesn't say, try to trap me. 
try to get me in trouble with Rome or get me in trouble with the Jewish people. What he's saying is this area, you should test me. You should test me by honoring me with the first. And some of you, you got to ask, well, have I done that? And so often the answer is no. And the, the reason is why? Because you trust other things. And maybe God is calling you to say, I want you to trust that I am your source. I want you to test me. Why? So you can see just how good that I am. And the question is, have you trusted God with your life? Have you trusted him with the first, the first of you, the first of your future, that if your health went down and you were to perish, that you know with assurance where you'll be in the afterlife? Have you trusted God that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, hanging there, taking upon himself your sin, my sin, on the cross, and him before God the Father canceling out our sin, taking the punishment we deserve, that God's wrath against sin was satisfied in Jesus' sacrifice, and when he looks at you and me, his wrath has turned away from you and me because it was satisfied in Jesus. Have you given him the first of your life? With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just, if you're online, just, as you're watching, think and ask the question, have I given God me? Have I given him the first? And whether you're in here or out there, I want you to just take a moment and pray this prayer. This is a prayer you pray if you just say, Jesus, I want my sins washed away. I want to know you. I want to give you me. And so many of you have already made that decision. But if today you're just sensing God is drawing your heart, will you pray that prayer? Something like this, just right where you are, just pray this. Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, that you rose to new life because you're God. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. Wash me as white as snow. Make me a new creation on the inside because today, Jesus, I give you me. And right now, if you prayed that prayer, Will you raise your hand if you're here in the room? If you're online, will you click the button down below the video and indicate that you've done that? That today was the day that you said, Jesus, I'll give you me. If that's you in this room, you just raise your hand. And one of my friends will see you right over there in the middle of greatest decision, right over here in the back as well, right over here on the other side in the back, little hand there, greatest decision you could ever make. That's phenomenal. And others in the room, I want you to just ask for a moment. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to respond right here in the front row, by the way. And uh, just greatest decision you could ever make. And I just want you as a believer in the room, this is your moment of decision. God, in a culture of fear, I'm going to trust you to be my source for my health, for better or worse. God, I trust you to be my source in my provision and my survival. God, I trust you to be my source that if I share what you've given me with someone else, you're still going to take care of me because I want to love people like you did. And God, I want to trust you to be my source as I give you the tithe and return what's yours. God, help me in these decisions, we pray. And we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ and everybody said, amen. Amen. Will you give it up for what God is doing in and through and among us? Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.